Turn Up The Talk podcast, tackling mental health together. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Turn Up The Talk. You're joined by Paddy and Lockie. How are you, Lock? I'm good, Paddy. Pretty excited for this one. Yeah, mate, really looking forward to it. Today's episode is brought to you by Radio Hub in Alexandria, where we're filming today's podcast. Our good friends at the Clavelli Hotel and our new partners in Elab. So Elab is a gym that's going to get your body, your mind, and everything right, feeling good the way it should. Mark and the team will take care of you. They've got two locations, one in Maroubra and one in Waverley, so make sure to check them out. Now, Lockie, you did say you were excited for today's guest. Our guest has played over 300 games for both Storm and the Rabbitohs, over 30 games for Queensland, Australian player, Indigenous All-Stars player, Daily M Fullback of the Year, Daily M 580 of the Year, and in our opinion, a future immortal, Greg Inglis. Thank <laughs> you so much that. for joining us, man. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. What's been going on? Not much. It's, uh, well, I would say not much, but it's a, a lot going on at the moment. I uh, started my own academy in 2020. Um, it's been in the pipeline since 2018, 2019. So... Yeah, I just wanted to do something outside of football and, you know, started the Goanner Academy up along this help with Rich Digital as well. What's the uh, what's the aim of that academy? What do you want to do with it? Break the stigma of mental health. Um, break the stigma of the talk about it and, you know, really focus on that side of it and more the preventative stages of it before it gets too late. So it's sort of like that, that little guy in the middle. So go around the schools, um, companies, corporates, um, businesses, um, just whatever, just to spread my story and, you know, really get detailed and open and honest with it. And, um, and saying that there, it's making it a bit more personal too. And it helps me along the way, telling my story and talking about it more. You speak about schools. Is it, <clears throat> is it more focused on the youth? You go under academy? Yeah. 13 to, um, 21 year olds, but saying that it's across all, you know, all broads. When I first started this, um, really focus on the indigenous men side of it and about two weeks into it it was just just seen that all ages across all nationalities and within australia needed it and crying out for help especially in regional new south wales and regional areas in queensland um really regional um australia so you've just come back from a year over in england so you retired from the nrl <laughs> Had over for a year in England. How was that experience? What was it like? Oh, we left here at 26 degrees and landed at minus six. So, <laughs> um, says it all. Yeah. Look, it was, um, it was a wonderful experience. Warrington, you know, the, the people there are incredible. They made me and my partner, um, welcome. And also got to play with, uh, Jason Clark once again. Um, you know, obviously played with him out south and won a premiership there with him. But, you know, it was an opportunity to go out there and experience, uh, Super League, um, wasn't quite the way it went in the in the football terms, but everything else was a incredible experience. A lot of people talk about the difference, obviously, between NRL and NRL is sort of known as the best competition in the world. What were you, what were the biggest differences you found between the NRL and the Super League? Oh, there's quite a quite a fair bit. Um, to be honest, you you got to train in the snow, you got to train on frozen <laughs> ground, you got to train indoors, picking up the weights. Uh, you know, your hands freeze and you just get that numbing, burning sensation. But yeah, look, it's, I probably didn't quite embrace it as much as, as I should have, um, knowing that I was only going to be there for a short, short time. But, you know, it's any player out there got the opportunity to go and play. I, I wish I did it like in my late twenties to, to be quite honest, but it is a great experience. And I don't know, it's, all different clubs are different and, I found it. <laughs> the system 
about you know the top teams and then they got to relegate and you know every single year it's yeah. playoffs for it and you know in the middle of that there in the middle of the season they got uh the challenge cup and so yeah it's like do a grand final inside of grand final like a competition inside two different competitions do you think we should bring in a relegation system to the NRL look i don't think so i think we just need to um really focus on the contract windows of it all you know um you know, I was, you know, I was, I'll say old heads and that don't like the transfer windows of it all, but something that's something that um, the broader NRL community should should have a look at. The, the guys up top um, should, should really hone in on it because, you know, as a player, you don't want your players signing with a with a rivalry club, and then you sitting there during the week and going out to play against, you know, playing with a guy. Knowing that he's signing off, yeah. so whether he's in there full term or hundred percent committed, you know, you just never know. They say they are, but you know, there's always tells with the um with their actions, and you know, it just shows that Kickow's there. You know, he's only one player; he's there to play, yeah, and he's there to give it all, and that's the players you want. But you know, there's other circumstances out there that you know probably don't end up the way that he does. You speak about the Goenna Academy and your focus on mental health and, and mental illness, and we'll go into it pretty heavily throughout your career and everything like that, but growing up, was mental illness something you lived with? Do you think about it at the time and going back and being in the clinic, and it starts at a very young age. Um, I say young, I mean like there's moments in your life, you know, during your, during your lifetime that things tend to build up, build up, and... I moved away from home when I was 15. So there was, you know, a bit of trauma in early, in my early life. Um, but you know, that's, that is what it is. And that's who, that's what made me who I am. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy to live with it. I'm happy to share my experience about it. But, um, I think it's, I think if I didn't go to the clinics that I went to, I wouldn't have known my my um, what what I've been diagnosed with. So you speak about the clinics in 2017. You had a season-ending ACL injury, and you you explained it as a after that moment, footy was always something that you'd use as a coping mechanism, training and everything like that. Being part of a team, all of a sudden that's taken away, and you went into a deep depression and you turned to alcohol to to mask that pain. You talk us through that period of your life. Yeah, it was. Look, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, never had no major major surgeries like that before. So I didn't know how to cope. And, you know, when you're injured and clubs are doing a tremendous job now, but when you're injured, you're sort of taken away from the main group and you're not really feel a part of it. Mm. And ACL, I didn't really know how, how to cope. So, you know, um, coming out of the ACL is alcohol and pain medication um, mixed together. is not a great mix. And then it took me a while to wee off it, but yeah, there was times in I was going to rehab and I didn't really want to be there. You know, just same cycle over and over. And you know, it's once I did that there and then found my feet and started getting back in the group. I found it, you know, rewarding for myself because I've seen the progress happening. You know, I yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great point in my time, but it's a life lesson that I learned. When you were going through that, did you sort of feel as though something was wrong? But you know, you. You didn't want to reach out or you, you didn't quite know. What what was that feeling when you were going through those injuries and, you know, say you, you don't want to go into work today? Oh, we just, you know, 
we're males. Yeah. We don't talk about it. You know, I've in a brutal sport, so you don't want to even mention anything about it. And that's just the way it was. And you don't talk about it. Like that's something you just don't talk. You know, you can talk about feelings on, on the top of the surface, but it's deep, um, delving deep into it. You go and ask somebody how, how's home life, how's work, how's, you know, how's the weather? Do you get up too much on the weekend? Instead of like actually sitting down and having a deeper conversation, understanding the, the other person and you don't do that in footy world. Yeah. You know, and that's, wake up and say, oh, I don't want to go on today, but I have to, you know, because you don't want to let the team down. So you just put on a, put on a mask and away you go. So then at that stage you, you went into rehab? So you've been into rehab twice, yep. as I believe. And the first one probably wasn't for you. As you mentioned, you, you weren't really uh, committed to it fully. Can you talk us through the difference between that first time going and then that second time going, what you learned, how much more uh, you invested into it and what you learned from both those experiences? Um, if I didn't go to the second one and be fully committed and be fully vulnerable, um, who knows, I may not have been here today because I was down in a pretty bad way, in pretty bad shape, down with spiral pretty quick. And if I didn't, like I said, if I didn't allow myself, it takes a lot of courage to even walk through those doors. And I felt like I was pushed or forced to go in the first one. And the second one, I knew that I needed help. I think that's the biggest difference. You know, it's, you know I was even looking for a, a way to escape for the first one in, a, in my first stint, but I wasn't going to sessions. I wasn't going speaking to anybody I was doing my own thing on my own timetable and that's you don't you don't do that when you go into these places um you know they say you need three you need to go back three times actually fully on your stab and you know I came out having one goal and not not to go back as my third time I didn't want to be that percent I just wanted to go out there and that's why I started the academy was there a distinct moment that second time you said you wanted to be there was there a distinct moment you remembered that you were like you know what I, I need to really help myself now. Just, <clears throat> yeah, that, um, those four days, five days where I went missing and people were ringing up and I really hurt the ones that are around me and I didn't even know. Um, people thought I was dead, uncontactable. And yeah, it wasn't until my sister came, picked me up and I went back home, detox for two weeks and then came down to Sydney and straight in the clinic. You know, it was a really, really turning point for for myself because like I said if I didn't do that then well then I may not have been sitting here today you speak about these experiences and sort of what you have had to deal with but then you know we just see the person on tv tormenting us state of origin for so many years <laughs> winning grand finals playing in the biggest games in front of millions of people how hard is it to sort of put those things aside and you know how important was footy to deal with those feelings it was easy for me it was you know i talk to people now and people i dealt with reporters um people in the industry and once they really understand and what i've been through they turn around and say yeah we can actually we can notice that now because there's you can see like some days we look at you and you, you're there but you're not fully there and but it was easy for me because that was my job. I knew that's you know I love what I'm doing, and you know I love it that much that I'm putting the boots back on this this season for Maxwell Seagulls. So, <laughs> but 
again, it's it was easy for me. That was my routine. I knew what to do, um, knew how to train, knew how to get my body right, and I'll just turn up and play. You know, turn up and train, turn up and play. Even some days when I don't feel like it, but you know that's a that's what a team's about. You know, they help you, so you want to be around those guys. You know, we we shower together, we see each other butt naked. You know, and <laughs> don't get much closer. Nah. <laughs> so you know, we we there's a special bond inside clubs, and you know, it's but yeah, it's just it was easy for me to turn up and put on a face and then just go about my business and then go home and just relax. You speak about that special bond and you were obviously a part of well, two very special clubs in Melbourne and Souths. And obviously you had a big part on the change room that was there, but is there anyone that you look back, anyone in particular that sticks out as a major friend for you in, a, in, you know, in those tough times or anyone that you could sort of relate to throughout your time at both clubs? Oh, look, Johnny Sutton's up here, definitely. Jason Clark and... You know, down in Melbourne, it was the old, the old boys, the old heads, um, Matty Guyer. You know, even though we don't speak as much, but when we do, it's like bringing back good memories. You know, and just he calls me kid, and he just asks us like, he asks how I'm going and everything else. Matty King, another one. You know, um, Robbie Kearns. It's just those guys. Bill, Bill, obviously Cam, and when I see Coops every now and then. So, look, it's it's amazing. Because I was 17 down there at that time and having the guys around me and then bellyache, that's, you know, he's was that father figure to me. When you went to South, so it's it's one of the fan questions, which we will ask at the end, but while we're on the topic of it, we got bombarded with them. So we'll pick a few. <laughs> so I thought I would just sneak one in now. <clears throat> when you got brought to South, I mean, I'm not sure if you felt this expectation, but the way it looked was you were brought in to put a premiership on the table for South Sydney. You were their marquee signing. Did you see it like that? And if so, how did you deal with that expectation and pressure? What drew me to the club was um, the community side of it, based in Redfern and the Indigenous importance of it. That's what drew me to the club. And, you know, maybe I love Gladiator, so maybe it was Russell that <laughs> said something <laughs> to influence about it. But, uh, look, it was... Just on that, I didn't want to meet Russell, to be honest. Because, you know, when you meet your idol, they let you down. But... <laughs> Did he let you down? No, not one bit. <laughs> I think I let him down. I hung up with him three times. So <laughs> Then Chuck Mundine said, answer the phone, is Russell. <laughs> but, um, but, look, it was – I knew I was there for a reason. And, you know, that was um, – that wasn't no secret. The club told me, Shane Richardson told me, it's like, look, this is our – this is our plan for the next couple of years and we want to be a part of it. And so there was two factors into it that really drew me to the club. And look, we just had to build a great side around us. We should have won it in 13, but obviously bowed out and in the prelim. And, you know, we've credit the match. We just stuck to our guns and went back there the following year. And yeah. You, you sort of see that now as well. Like you look at clubs, you know, if, if you think of um, the Roosters now have to rebuild Manly are sort of working towards it. How hard is it to stay focused? Obviously, you spoke about 13, as well, 2012. When you were there working towards that goal and things aren't sort of going your way. You just have to believe in, you know, it comes from your leaders. Yeah, your your squad, even the guys that's not playing week in, week out, the 17, 
they got to understand that they're there they help the first grade and the first grade are helping them as developing as players so they can, when they get the chance, they understand their roles within the side. And that's why Melbourne's so great at it. Melbourne's so good at it, doesn't matter who they put in, they could be a third-tier player, but they go in and they just focus on their job. And that's what we, we did. We did that in Melbourne, did that here at South. And like you said, it's hard to build, rebuild. And you can see it in the origin now where Queensland's rebuilding, where Queensland had that, you know, dominancy for many years. And then now it's New South Wales turn. You see that over time. You can see that through it. Um, it's, but it just comes down to your leaders um, and what you believe in. You believe in the system or you don't. Your leaders need to speak up. Your captain needs to speak up if he doesn't agree with it. So you can all be on one page and moving forward as a unit instead of just a couple of boys. Um, it only takes a small percent of boys to derail it and then it's gone. Also, injuries play a big part. Linking back to sort of mental health and doing some research for this, you sort of quoted a number of times about speaking about the difference between off-season and in-season. And I think a lot of people can sort of, I mean, I re um, resonated with that, that when you've got some time on your hands, things can sort of spiral. How hard was that for you? And did you come up with anything, you know, in the later years to help you through that off-season period? As you know, when you've got footy week in, week out during the season. I've always been... You know, in the back of my mind, I've just, oh, just the way I thought is my off season is my off season, and that's just time to unwind, enjoy myself, go to, um, you know, go to festivals or whatever, and just really have my downtime, um, and then try not to stuff up on the way. But it's just spending time with the ones that you don't really see during during the year, and. I've always had back in my mind, you know, going Aussie Aussie duties or you go in season stuff. I never went on in season trip. I just wanted to spend time with my family because I moved away from from them so young and friends, and um, just really wanted to relax, enjoy my time. And then when it was time to come back, yeah, I came back every year. I came back. I was always in the fat club, <laughs> like every year, <laughs> without a doubt. That was just, that was just a given. So I didn't really focus on that. But I had a once I was in the training, I trained hard and got my body weight down to, you know, before even first trial or second trial. So I had a seven week window to, to do that. And yeah, fat club helped me, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I knew that was already coming, you know, so it was yeah. nothing new to me. Um, and <laughs> I think by the end of it, the coaches and SNC coach nutrition knew how my body was. And when I tried to explain to them, so, you know, I never had the best diet, but I knew what, what, what worked for my body. Speaking about back in that second rehab since you got diagnosed with type 2 bipolar, what was the feeling you got once you got that diagnosis? Was it a feeling of relief almost? And how has that helped since getting that diagnosis? Because speaking to a lot of people, they're scared to have that diagnosis. They technically don't want to have that label on their head or they, they don't want to kind of accept the truth. But how did it help you once you found out that's what you were living with? I just wake up brighter. Go, I know, I, I understand what I have. It's... It's understanding. It's like with anything. If you don't know something, you're going to be scared of it. But once, once I got diagnosed, it was, it was just remarkable. Like it was just something that just went out, out of my head, out of my mind, and never thought about. Oh, there's something wrong here. I'll just go back to having a few drinks and then pass out and wake up feeling good. You know, that's not, that's not a way to live. 
and especially in my case it was <laughs> it was far from way way of living so once I got diagnosed with that yeah it was just a weight off my shoulders and I understood it more 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 I read into it more um meetings I went to with my with my psych it, the better I was and you know I just frequently asked questions to understand what was going on in my mind once that diagnosis happened did you notice any changes in the people around you yeah yep um in a in a great way not not in a bad way they knew how to understand me more and I knew how to talk to them more more broadly about things so it wasn't just uh yeah okay and then because <laughs> it's funny this I don't like crowds I get anxious about crowds and being in crowds so I pretend I prefer prefer not to go but I, I will go just for the sake of going for them but inside I just have this anxiety just all over me but but going back to the, you know the friends that had around me they understood me more and I understood myself more which made it a lot of people around me better because they wasn't they didn't feel like they was on eggshells or wanted to say the wrong thing around me. You also spoke about in another interview that you needed to hit a real low point. I know we've kind of spoke about that stage, but what's a day in the life of you at your low point? I mean, you're waking up, what's going through your mind and how do you go about that day? Phone's off. Oh, I don't even answer it. Or oh, yeah, just wake up and don't want to move off the couch. Just don't eat. Um just sit there and just watch movies and just fall asleep in and out. You know, that's my thing. And then when, like, it's a great day today, so I'll probably end up going out to play golf. So, you know, but days like this here and it's a great day and I love golf, I won't go. People will ring up and say, come here, come there. And it's like, nah. And just ignore calls or ignore everything and just won't do it. But now I've got to a stage where, um, you know, computer work and admin stuff is all new to me. So if I'm not feeling great and it's been too much building up, I'll just send um, the guys in that an email saying, hey, I'm, I'm offline today, I need time to myself. And, the, you know, that's they understand it. That's what I mean. It's like they understand me more because I'm more open and honest about it the way I'm feeling and it's not something to be afraid of. So what do you do now when you are in those that time and you do need time to yourself? What are some coping mechanisms you use? Obviously, you'd hit the golf course a bit. Yeah, I do. But, you know, what works for me doesn't really necessarily work for everyone else. You know, so I found what works for me. I found my tools. Um, I just give myself a 24-hour window just to, you know, reset myself. I wake up and then I'm not feeling great. So I'll, I'll make myself, I'll get up, I'll have a cold shower to wake myself up a little bit and then get dressed ready for the day. And go go out and just, I don't know, just be me. Just really be me. I tend to the horses um, that we have on the property. And so, yeah, I'll go out and sit on four hours on the ride on mower. <laughs> so, look, it's, yeah, like, like I said, what's what's worked for me is, is you know, it doesn't work for everyone else. In a, another article about two years ago, there was a lot of talk about racism in sport. And it's something that, over time, I mean, at least once or twice or three times a year, you hear a story about it, and that's only in the NRL or the AFL. That's only on the big stage. You can only imagine how often it is going on. How do you think that's improved or has it improved, and and what needs to be taught to that younger generation coming through about racism in general, and in particular in sport? Look, it is, it's right across the board, isn't it? Indigenous, white, it doesn't really matter. It's It's... 
you know, we're, we're in year 2022 and, you know, you see things right across the world and it's heartbreaking and it's, I've experienced and it's not, it's not great. My, you know, my, my, my son, Nate, he experienced on social media. So, you know, my grandfather's experience on social media from a post that I put up. So it's, we copped it and I, it's just, it is there. And the more you can bring it to the surface, it's like, like anything, like mental health. The more you talk about it, well, then better understanding everyone will have of it. But I think it's, look, it's not acceptable. It's not great. And once you get called those nasty things, it's, you look back about who they're, where they've been taught this. So you got to look at the underlying issues. Is it something that they've been brought up with or something they've been taught? You know, are they born that way? So who knows? Did I have a bad experience? Who knows? But to go out and add your way to racially slur um, someone because of their heritage is, you know, it's pretty, pretty shit to be honest. Yeah, I think it's obviously more a reflection on that person, you mm-hmm. know, and like you said, what they've been taught or what they've grown up with and holding them accountable and sort of calling calling it out. And I think that's the, you know, there's casual racism as well, calling that out and making sure people know that, that that's not acceptable and that's how sort of it gets worse and that's how other people think that it's acceptable as well. You mentioned social media. Did you have accounts when you were playing? Yeah. yeah. And how did you sort of find that? I mean, we... um. We spoke with Josh Dugan about that um, sort of in a few episodes ago that players 20 years ago, you know, they'd have a bad game, they'd go home and it was just sort of in their own mind. They might talk to their, their friends about it, whereas now they get home and they get thousands and thousand notifications. How hard is it? Turn your notifications off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have it on my phone. I don't have it. Um James over there's got it in the Rich Digital team. They've they got it. I don't, you know, they they send stuff through to me like messages and that. And what I put out there is like my own wording and what pictures I approve, what what not. But I don't have it on my phone. Um, it's great for advertising. It's great for your personal brand. It's like it's terrific. It's just the way this generation's going now with technology and whatever. My six year, my eight year old son can can work out a phone more, you know, more than what I can. So, uh, and my daughter, she's, she's Chloe and she's going to be a handful when she, when she grows up. So, but yeah, I never really looked into that side of it. I knew myself if I had a bad game or, or if I didn't. And the only thing that mattered to me was, you know, did I, was it up to the team standard? Was it up to my peer standards, the way I played? It's like uh, people looked at the way I played and it's like, oh, he didn't give his best, but it might have been, you know, just enough. Yeah. But no, I reckon I really, really, I don't really give a fuck, to be honest. I really couldn't care. Yeah. It's like people want to put their two cents worth in. It doesn't bother me. It's what off my back. Yeah, I just need to worry about, I need, still do. I just need to worry about what's going on in my life. And, you know, when, terms of playing week in week out it was the ones that take the field with me that lace up the boots next to me that's that's who i had to um apply myself for yeah it's a good mindset on it speaking of a, a team and everything like that we had another another guest question 
So obviously we've been speaking about the downsides of, of your career. Let's let's bring it up a bit, that 2014 grand final in particular for South. What was that feeling like when that final siren went? It was emotionally because it was, you know, 43-year drought that we just broke and we should have broken it the year before. And we just rode that wave of emotion for, you know, those three years to get there. You know, 2012 prelim, 2013 we should have won it, and 2014 we, you know, we did get the chocolates. But it was the emotional wave that lasted that that side that that time. And yeah, I didn't even go out and party that that night. I didn't go out with the boys. The boys, you know, went back. We went back to South Juniors. I went home. I was just emotionally drained, emotionally wrecked. And I think I was weighing about 98 kilos then. You know, through that final series, so. Yeah, it was just took its toll on me. So went home and chilled. It's a massive achievement. Do you understand the? I mean, you speak about it and you, you break the drought and everything, but has it, do you comprehend how big it is? I mean, we're Roosters fans, so it's still big for us. <laughs> but my, my whole family's south, and my grandpa, yeah. my uncle, so they remind me of it quite frequently. But do you understand how much it means to the fans in the club? Yeah, yeah, no, no, we definitely do. But you know, we want to focus on internally instead of focusing what's going on externally. And that's what we did as a club from the board up, from the board down. That's what we did was just in-house, just focus on ourselves. And yeah, we get fans. like that. That's the beauty about South. It's open paddock. It's open training field. So yeah. guys <laughs> and that come there, kids and that come there, watch. And so you get this good sense of it yeah. and what it means to actually play for South Sydney. And that's what I say great about it because it's a community. It's just a community involvement that really gets the boys going. It's like turn up, oh, my body's sore. It's like thing. But then you see a little kid and, you know, that's um that's traveled all the way from, I don't know, Orange or somewhere, Tamworth, somewhere at the back of a five-hour trip, yeah. wearing his house kid on with his mum and dad. You yeah, know, it's just, awesome. yeah. So you get a real sense of it. How important was Sam Burgess to that team? Oh, he was, yeah, enormous, enormous. You know, I've seen some great front rowers, but he's definitely up there. He's one one of the hardest men, you know, <laughs> do a full circle. You know, Sattler's got a broken jaw and Sam's got a fractured <laughs> cheekbone. So um, it's, I went up to him and said, said to him, I said, look, I'd, it's, it's all right, but, you know, I've I'll, got your back and, you know, We'll, we'll, we'll need you. And I think there's a footage of clip of it. And I just asked if he's okay. And he just said, yeah, yeah. I think I broke my, my cheekbone. And I said, oh, shit happens. <laughs> 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 nah, no, nah, I didn't say that. He just said, well, I'm not going off. I said, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll look up. Yeah, we'll, we'll look after you. Not, not I'll look after you. I said, we'll, we will look after you. And that's, you know, that's what a team does. It's funny you said that. My dad's house soon. Um, and I, he didn't take the premier's top off for probably about three months. <laughs> he, uh, he would used to just plan his day. He planned clients around going to watch you guys train at Redfern. Yeah. And he'd just go get a coffee. He'd be like, oh, they're looking good today. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's, you know, and he's, he sort of went from a young boy when he started his apprenticeship. He grew up in, oh, sorry, he went to work in Redfern and they'd take him down on a Friday night and that's why he went for South. Yeah. So I think that was, it is, it is probably one of the most special ones, I think over the past yeah, 10 or sure. 20 years. And like you said, that special connection to the club. So another fan question, what's it like when, you know, either if you're playing or now, what's it like sort of being told that you're one of the best players of the game and how did you sort of deal with that? Yeah, I'll just always say, and I've always 
always will. I was just a kid who grew up in the country that idolized his dad and just loved, grew up loving the game. Um, passionate about it, I love it, and it's something that I was, you know, good at. Uh, when people say that, you know, what you guys said, future immortal, I just laugh at it. It's like, I just, you know, those accolades and being tagged out there, it's, I, I don't know, like, if it happens, it happens, if it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, I'm just a kid that loved football. Are you doing anything with South at the moment or is that sort of stopped? No, not at the moment. I'm yeah. just solely focusing on Goanna Academy. So that's yeah. that's a full-time gig. And like I said, it's computer work admin, but there's a lot of things happening for the Goanna Academy at the, uh, just about to happen. And uh, yeah, it's um, nothing at South at the moment. I still, you know, send little messages and that to them, but yeah, nothing, nothing really. Reason for that was, um, got a fan question as well. Is is there one player in the game at the moment who you think will sort of just eclipse anyone over the last 10, 15 years? Is it, who do you think will be the best player in the game in the next five to 10 years? I think right now it's hard to go past um, Nathan Cleary. I think he's just, for a young kid, oh, you know, he's, what is he, 23? Yeah. Something like that. Well, I'm 36, so yeah, he's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's, he's got a level head. He's you, you can see he's got the smarts of football. You can see he's got the smarts of um of of a halfback. And what they're doing at Penrith there is remarkable. You know, they Isaiah Yeo is doing a tremendous job for him, but I think left and Cleary in the next, you know, mm-hmm. eight to ten years, you know, injury free he'll be you'll be talked about up there with with a couple of the greats, halfbacks of our game. The uh, the Curie knockout, which mm-hmm. you've played in a few times. We've got a fan question about that. So they want to know about the Wall Street Warriors. So this fan mentioned that most NRL t- most NRL players go and play and they're normally in stacked teams. But the Wall Street Warriors wasn't quite that. No. we. Um, so Wall Street Warriors is – Wall Street's a, a street back home in Maxwell. And we all grew up and we was all growing – Go around and playing on different families' lawns, uh, front yards, and you know, get the old red plastic football, and you know, you kick it and you kick the wrong end, you almost bruise your foot. So, <laughs> Coke bottles, man, we played with shoes, we played with you know, Maybe two liter Coke get. bottles, tennis balls, it's just, just whatever. We just, yeah, so there was um, obviously older cousins and, and myself and a couple of younger cousins, and we. My cousin and I wanted to start this Wall Street Warriors um, football club up um, simply because we knew when we was growing up and we experienced we was taking our football boots to these knockouts, hoping to get a run. And we seen our cousins and that going doing the same thing. So we just looked at each other and said, let's just start up a, a, a side. Um you know, they talk about you can't really work with family. We, so we tried the family thing. It doesn't didn't work out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we look, the boys come over there for love and we want them to make them feel special. And we want them to have an experience so they can keep coming back. And, you know, that's what we found. Um, but with our family side of it, it's, you know, we did try it and we wanted to make it a family football club. Um, that's our, that was our main objective, but. You know, a couple of boys were got out and so a couple of other lads in the um in the area wanted to play for us and we just had our East Coast Tribal League that's going on up there that's been run and that's for non-Indigenous players as well. So a couple of Maxwell uh, locals wanted to put their hand up and wanted to play for us, uh, play first grade up there. So 
look, it's just great. I think it's great for our for our um, community and great for the players. And that's why we started it. And you're right, we don't have any NRL players. We don't have a stacked side, but we got a side that we that we love and you know that we, that we know that will go out and play as best as they can. You mentioned the Go Out Academy before. What's going on? What's what's happening in the next couple of months? What can people look out for? Oh, well, got Orange, got Darling Downs, which is the Toowoomba area. Um, each each area I'll go to is a three to four day um, session. So we've got Frank Baxter Youth Centre up in Central Coast, got Central Coast itself. So got to break that up in, in the two is a big region, um, one and one north and one south, and they've got three visits up in up in the MacArthur, which is up in Northern Territory. So fly to Darwin, got an hour flight out of Darwin, hour and a half out of Darwin, then 40-minute um, car ride to get to a mine. So, yeah, and look, there's a lot of things that's going, that's going to happen, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of traveling at the moment. But it's, uh, look, I've got a great team around me, and they help me out a lot to secure these um these things in these these regions so you know i'm also looking to go to bracken hill early next year so you know when i talk about regional new south wales or regional australia these are the places i'm i'm talking about because these places are really crying out for help these regions in these communities got one more fan question and it's well, we've got plenty but we'll last, <laughs> last one. and this is one that i think everyone's wondered why queensland why yeah well i mean they're, they're, it's obviously the big debate in origin yeah. What what was the process behind that? Oh, my mum was, you know, Max was in Queensland. It's just on the other side of Tweed. So, <laughs> no, it's, uh, <laughs> look, it was a, it was a personal choice and I did run it by my family. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Um, end of the day of, you know, it was a piece of paper about this big and you said if you was to play Origin or if you play representative football. Which state would you think? And there was just a tick, yeah, right. just like a tick, yes or it no. It's like tick Queensland, New South Wales, and didn't think I'll be, you know, where I was and what I did for Queensland at that yeah. time. Like I was seventeen, and I ticked that box. So yeah. you look at like what happened with Ronaldo last year. Mm. Was it last year? Oh yeah, when Queensland yeah, yeah. couldn't pick him because he'd already ticked the box. Yeah, that's how he wanted to represent New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's just yeah. like, yeah. Uh, I know you talk about as well, like people representing Samoa, Tonga. I think hopefully they open it up over the next few years that you can sort of pick both and it's just going to make Origin better. Yeah. Uh, look, I think international football is getting up there too when you talk about Samoa and, and Tonga and all that. Um, you've seen Tonga beat <laughs> Australia, yeah, yeah. stack side. Yeah. So, you know, it's not necessarily the best players you got. It's what you play with, the passion, the pride. Yeah. And Tonga showing that. I think international football is going to get better, but you know, I'm not one to sit here and make up the rules because I pretty much change change the <laughs> eligibility for it. So you know, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> probably better, probably for the better. What about the three tips? Just to as we're closing off, three yep. tips for someone who's in a dark place, struggling with depression, anxiety, whatever it may be, bipolar, any mental illness. Like you said, not everything works for everyone. What are three tips of advice you can give? Yeah, like another thing, like for me, and I found in very important Indigenous culture is, oh, best thing I did was I went back home as much as I could. Went back on my land, went back and spent time in the bush, went back and did ceremony. But three tips um, 
obviously um, sleep, trying to get a good night's sleep, or if you can, a couple of nights in a row sleep. I've had trouble sleeping best of times. Um, and take time to yourself. Don't sit there, you know, at home by yourself when you're already in a dark place, but take time out for yourself and go try to do things that you love doing, enjoy doing. And if you can, meditate or exercise. You know, there's there's three simple things. Eat healthy, you know, you can go on for, yeah. forever. And they're all things you can do in everyday Sleep, life. Sleep, eat healthy, exercise. Reach out. Yeah, reach out. Surround yourself with 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 people that that understand you. Um, I've got, still got my best mate since year two. That's still there. Yeah. So rings me up out of the blue, just talks about whatever, and, you know, that's it. Don't have to be for anything. It just rings up and just has a chat. Could be 20 minutes, could be half hour, could be two minutes. Yeah. We, I'll get off the phone feeling much better when I talk to him. It's just, like I said, it could be five minutes, could be less. But he just rings up out of the blue and just, yeah, all right. I'm with my day. I was like, all right, see ya. Yeah. So, it's, it's good. You need a friend like that, don't yeah. you? It's, yeah. it's important. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I want to wish you all the best for everything in the Goenna Academy. I mean, you have such a presence and such a history in the game of sport and just an athlete in Australia in general and an Indigenous athlete. And you've had such an impact on so many people and you sharing your story so openly and comfortably is a full credit to you. And I congratulate you and thank you for taking the time to join us. And no we really worries. appreciate it. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. Turn up the talk podcast, tackling mental health together.